Well, good morning. Happy New Year too, I suppose I can say now. Still the time to say it. I have a confession to make. I, uh, I was aware from Jason that this was the passage that we were going to walk through this morning. What he didn't tell me what was uh, what the title was. And uh, looking at that, what is it? The Reluctance of Unbelief. Well, don't tell Jason, but uh, I wonder if you'd let me tweak it a little in line to where my little thoughts have been running. Uh, something like the, the challenge of belief. So if you'll turn, please, to Jonah and uh, chapter 1. That's page 927. I, I don't suppose it'll help uh, if I say it's right after Obadiah. But that's where it is. Jonah chapter 1, it's page 927. And even as we have a Bible open before us, our, our prayer, the prayer of our hearts, is it not, is that, Lord, that you'll, you'll speak to us. And we're asking him to open his word to our hearts and our hearts to his word. Jonah chapter 1. Well, <clears throat> here we are. It's a great fisherman's story, isn't it? The one that got away. All the anglers demonstrating the size of the fish that they nearly caught. And then up comes Jonah and he throws his arms as wide as he possibly can. And he has to say, well, that's just his mouth, actually. And he... Uh, he confesses, he has to confess. Well, actually, it's not so much the one that got away from me, it's the one that got rid of me. And as you read the story, it seems that not even a fish can stomach a disobedient prophet. Uh, and there's, there's no doubt at all, is there, as you sneak a little bit of a preview and look into chapter 2 and at verse 10, there's, there's little doubt that the, here you have one of the most Remarkable cases of projectile vomiting recorded in all the annals of medical history. The mind boggled. But is this all that Jonah is? Uh, a fishy story? Is, is this it? Well, that catapults us into the very first question we're going to ask. What's the book about? So, so imagine, you're a librarian. Where do you place the book of Jonah in the library? Is it history? Uh, biography, maybe. Uh, perhaps travel or adventure as you read it. Uh, the biggie. Is it fact or fiction? Uh, does it belong in the religious section? But as historical account or possibly allegory or, or parable. Where does it fit? Where do you put it? Well, we do know that Jonah is a historical figure. He's, he's not some legendary Robin Hood. We first come across him in 2 Kings and chapter, chapter 14 and verse 25 where we find that Jonah, the son of Amittai, uh, comes from the little town of Gath-Hefer. 
Gath Hefer lies a few, few miles northeast of Nazareth, up there in the north of Palestine. And we learn that he lives in the 8th century BC, seven to 800 years before Jesus. And he prophesies there, we read in 2 Kings, he prophesies about the recovery of land for the northern kingdom of Israel. Going to grab it back from their hostile neighbours, Syria, while Syria is very preoccupied with what's happening on their northern, uh, in their northern territory. There is absolutely no suggestion in the book that it's to be considered as a parable. The whole account is written in, in, in historical style, straightforwardly. It's similar to Elijah's record in Second uh, Kings, or in One Kings, correct? One Kings. In other words, it, it's written to be believed. And Jesus himself treats it as historical and trustworthy. We've just read from uh, Matthew 12. He has various quotes throughout his ministry about Jonah. And the whole episode with the fish is, um, is said uh, to, to be a, a picture of, of the Lord's own, own death and resurrection. It prefigures it. T tell me, which is the greater miracle? That the Lord of all life be subjected to death, that he be crucified, dead and buried and raised to life three days afterwards, or that a Hebrew prophet be preserved alive inside a fish. Which would be the greater miracle? But the subject of the book isn't the fish. It's just mentioned three times, once at the end of our chapter, and then in chapter 2 at the beginning and the end. What's the, what's the book about? Well, it's about God. It's about God and his recalcitrant prophet. But especially, it's all about God. Uh, look, look at chapter 1. You'll know, won't you, that uh, when, when the word LORD is printed in capital letters in the Old Testament, it's the translator's way of signalling to us that this is a very special name. This is the name of the covenant-keeping God. The promise-keeping promise God, the personal God, Yahweh. Yahweh. And as you read the, this chapter, what do you find? Well, it starts off that way, doesn't it? Verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. You get down to verse 3. But, John, uh, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. And at the end of verse 3, you see he pays his fare. He went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So what happens? Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great Wind. You drop down to verse 9. He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. Verse 10, at the end of verse 10, they knew he was running away from the Lord. You get to verse 14, and this is from the mouths of the, 
the, the crewmen or in their situation verse 14 then they cried to the Lord O Lord please do not let us die and to the end of that verse for you O Lord have done as you please verse 16 at this the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord verse 17 but the Lord provided a great fish twelve times in 17 verses the whole chapter is permeated with God's name and God's presence and so is life it's illustrative of life our life our life whether you recognize it or not our life is all about God from first to last now what, what do we mean by that well who is it who gives us life the very life we have comes from God our creator he sustains us we depend upon him for every breath that we take and we're accountable to him at the end of it all whether I recognize it or not whether you recognize it or not God is through our life even more so than he is through this chapter of, John, uh, of Jonah chapter 1 which begs the question I think where does God consciously feature in your life now, now do notice I'm not asking how many times you come to church but, but what's your relationship with this covenant keeping God this personal God what's your relationship with him the one who made you and before whom you live how do you stand before his great commandment love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all, with all your soul and with all your mind is he, is he truly at the centre of your life question has to be do you give him any room at all I suppose I wonder if you'd agree with me that, that a mark of a Christian is a Christ centred God awareness that flows through the whole of life a life where problems turn to prayer alright alright temperaments differ perhaps between the problem and the prayer there's a bit of panic but where do we turn? Where does the Christian turn? Prayer? Well, where pleasure and every pleasure and every joy results in thankfulness and praise. Like the book of Jonah, a Christian's life is a life full of God. So, what does the book teach us about God? What, what are the lessons? Well, the first one is there in the first verse very clearly, isn't it? That our God is a speaking God. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. He's a God who communicates. Communicates with us. It'll be nigh on a hundred years or more ago uh, that Dan Crawford was silently trekking through the tall grass of the central plains there in Africa uh, 
I struggle in memory. You correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, I have an idea that Dan Crawford was an, an early pioneer brethren missionary. Uh, you'll tell me if you know differently. Uh, and there he, he was. He wasn't saying anything, thinking as he went along. And suddenly his African companion said, You're angry. And he was startled by this. Uh, why do you say that? Well, because you're silent. You're not saying anything. And when he was asked to explain, he said, well, you see, in our language, we say that if a man is silent, if he's not saying anything, he's angry. And then he added this, which Dan Crawford found quite distressing. He said, that's why we know God is angry with us. He's silent. He says nothing. But God isn't silent, is he? He, he speaks to us through the world he's made. He, he's shown us who he is through his creation. Paul speaks to us, doesn't he, in Romans 1, verses 19 and 20. He says, as human beings, we, we have no excuse for not listening, for, for not seeing God. Because in what he has made, he has revealed, he says... His eternal power and His divine nature. Through what we see, we see something of the magnificence, the, the, the power of our God. He speaks to us through His Word, the very Word we've been reading today. He speaks to us through His Word, through His prophets and apostles. But most of all, of course, most eloquently, He speaks through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came to die for us to be our Saviour. He is the speaking God. He's a speaking God. So the question has to be, are we listening? Are we listening? How often Jesus said, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Our God is a speaking God, but our God is a sovereign God. Throughout the whole chapter, in fact through the whole book, who is in control? Well, God is. He initiates the whole, the whole process. There it is in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's where it starts. He's the one who controls the elements, verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. He provides the right fish at the right time, the right place, there in verse 17. If you think it's all about Jonah, well, you must think again. Think again. And if we think that life is all about us, maybe we need to think again. We need to really consider who's at the control centre of the universe. I wonder if this is a, a threatening thought. Well, it shouldn't be, should it? Not really. Especially when the one at the centre of it all reveals himself as the God of love who has purposed before all ages to send his Son to be our Saviour. It, it doesn't mean we won't go through storms. Just ask Jonah about that. Read the chapter again. It doesn't mean that. 
But it does mean that we know that the ultimate future of our world and the ultimate future of our own tiny little lives are in better hands than our own. It's, um, it's why the Apostle Peter writes to Christians and says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Do you believe that? He cares for you. Know the one in control is concerned for you. And the appeal of, of the Saviour, the appeal of Scripture is, trust him. Trust him as your shepherd who will be with you even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Our God is a, is a speaking God. Our God is a sovereign God. Our God is a seeking God. Not only is he the shepherd who searches for the lost sheep, he's the one who's concerned for the straying sheep. Those who, like Jonah, head down the wrong road, the road of disobedience. He's told to go to Nineveh. There it is, verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, Nineveh is situated on the eastern bank of the river Tigris. Its ruins still lie, I gather, opposite the modern city of Mosul in Iraq. That's a city we hear of a bit in the news. Over there to the northeast, over there to the east of where uh, dear Jonah is. And what does he do? What does he do? Instead of heading east, the, the disobedient prophet, he sets off to the west. Verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, Tarshish, so the modern researchers tell us, is located, or was located, at the mouth of the river Guadalquivir in present-day Spain. It so happens that uh, quite a few years ago now, I was with a, a Spanish pastor and we were making a trip, we started off way in the northeast and we were, we were he was taking us by car and we, I, I went into various little towns and met various pastors and looking for a place really to locate a missionary couple. And we went all around these, these places and eventually arrived down in the southwest of Spain, the Sherry region. And we ended up a place, I don't know whether I'm pronouncing this right, but uh, San Luca di Barameda. And that's where we ended up. San Luca di Barameda lies right at the mouth of the river Guadalquivir. We looked around, we, there was a, a local pastor there we, had, we spoke with and, and saw. We saw the beach. There was not one sign of a full English breakfast. No Paddy's Bar, no Jock's Place. It was purely a place where, I don't know if it still is, where Spaniards, where the Spanish folks and Spanish families went for their holidays. But what I didn't realise at the time was that as we went around that place, I was within spitting distance of Tarshish. It was here 
that there was that Phoenician mining colony for which, which Jonah was setting out for. Now, wait a minute. You say, well, what's important with that? Well, well, you see, in all the eastern seaboard of Spain and the southern costas of Spain, it's all on the Mediterranean until you get near the mouth of the Guadalquivir. And the Guadalquivir doesn't, enter, doesn't empty into the, uh, into the Mediterranean, it enters into the Atlantic. So here you are in Palestine, eight centuries before the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're looking, what is the farthest point that you can think of? Where's the end of your world? To sail through that great sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and past that mighty rock of Gibraltar, and through the straits, and out into the vast Atlantic, you're going as far as you can away from the place that God is sending you. Well, what are you going to say? Lord, give up on this man. He's hopeless. Uh, wash, wash your hands of this wayward servant. Consigning to oblivion. He's not worth your time. Commission a more worthy servant. Raise up someone else, Lord. But, but what does God do? He pursues Jonah with a wild storm, verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Jonah discovers that although he's given up on God, God hasn't given up on him. I don't know whether that's a comfort to your heart, but it's a comfort to mine. That in times of my foolishness and stubbornness, when I turn a deaf ear to God, God still searches and stretches after his own. He could echo the psalmist, couldn't he, dear old Jonah? Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even as far as, as Tarshish, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. God dis doesn't give up on the ones he calls to himself. He won't abandon his own, even when they run the wrong way in their stupidity. That's a comfort to my soul. But he does, doesn't he? He does pursue them. And like Jonah, they might have to prove his severe mercy. He calls us to repent of our disobedience and to turn again to follow him. No one can run away from God. No one can turn away from God and, and, and be at peace. I wonder if that's where some of us are. Well, if so, it's time to turn back, isn't it? It's a, it's a salutary lesson that when the risen Lord Jesus Christ addresses the seven churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 
still in the lifetime of the Apostle John, remember, he finds cause to call five of those seven churches to repent. And the message hasn't changed with the passing of two millennia. It's still the same. Repent and believe. It's how you start and it's how you continue in the Christian life. As you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. So continue to live in him, says the NIV. How do you start? Repentance and faith. How do you continue? Repentance and faith. Which leads us to our last point. What does the book warn us about ourselves? Well, I'd suggest to you, it speaks to us, perhaps, of the weariness of rebellion. Again, verse 4. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the ship to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. What a tremendous contrast. The wind howling, the sailors howling, Jonah snoring. What, what, what a contrast. There's, there's also a contrast to another storm on another sea, the, the Sea of Galilee. Remember? And there the passenger is the Lord Jesus. He's also asleep. He, he's worn out with the labours of that day. Oh, and the days before it too. Uh, dealing with the crowds who thronged around him. But, but why is Jonah in such a deep sleep? The timbers are creaking, the boat is pitching. Why is he in such a deep sleep? I wonder, is it tiredness from his sudden flight? Or is it that previous nights have been, have been restless? Wrestling with a, a troubled conscience. The Proverbs tells us the way of the transgressor is hard. And uh, willful disobedience for, for a believer can, can be absolutely emotionally exhausting, devastating. Uh, what, a, what a sad picture though. The pagans praying and God's servant sleeping. Again verse 5. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the ship, into the sea to, to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we'll not perish. But you see, it's hard to turn to the one you've just turned away from, isn't it? Do you remember when many of those who followed the Lord Jesus turned away from him because of his strong teaching? You read of it in John chapter 6. And he turns to the twelve and he asks, You don't want to leave me too, do you? And Peter, as so often is the spokesman, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Who do you turn to? if you turn away from God who do you turn to? there's the there's the weariness of rebellion and then there's the inevitability of witness 
You see, this is something that the, the chapter points out, isn't it? That good or bad, we cannot avoid being a witness. When people know that we're Christians, they judge us and they judge our God by the way we live. And like Jonah, if we're disobedient, then it affects others. We, we become unwelcome crewmen. We used to have a colleague in one place we were at in, in Brazil. We were just outside this town in a, in a Bible school. Uh, she was a Canadian lady, Phyllis McLean, a great, a great lady. And, and Phyllis was in the town of Abaitetuba and she was visiting from hut to hut. And she came along, uh, came across a, a young woman and she had cause to ask her, and what, tell me, and, and what do you think of Christ? And as quick as a shot, without thinking, the woman immediately responded. And she said, I don't, I don't know what I think of Christ, but I know what I think of my father-in-law. Ouch. You see, father-in-law was a Christian. And she knew about him. She knew about him. In the Old Testament, God castigates the people of Israel because of their bad testimony. It causes his holy name to be profaned amongst the neighboring nations. Paul writes in the New Testament to, to his fellow Jews, he says, You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the nations, among the Gentiles, because of you. And Jonah is prized from his bunk, and a testimony is dragged out of him. Do you see the end of verse 8? And the question is, where do you come from? What's your country? From, from what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The problem is there's a yawning credibility gap between his profession and his actions. Literally that reads, verse 9, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. You will, Jonah. You will when you're on your submarine journey. You see, at his confession, the, the crew is even more alarmed. It's now not only the storm, it's, it's, they fear the God of the storm. Uh, and what follows in one way is a, another parallel with that squall nearly 800 years later on the Sea of Galilee. When the errant prophet is uh, committed to the deep, there's a great calm and the crewmen are, are amazed and fearful. They fear, just like the disciples centuries later did. Unfortunately for them, for the, uh, the men in that Jonah's boat, it probably doesn't signal any genuine conversion, but merely they add the God of Israel to the pantheon of national deities upon which they call. But you see, this is the thing. For better or for worse, like Jonah, we carry a testimony. People do not see our God, but they do see us. In our family, at our work, in our neighborhood. And God speaks through his people. God speaks through his church. 
So, what would we be saying to God? Please, Lord, please, save us from distorting or muffling your voice by our actions and our words. And when you speak to us, Lord, please, unlike Jonah, help us to run in the right direction. Lord, it's all about you. That's what life is. It's all about you. You are the speaking God. You spoke to us. You brought us yourself. You spoke to us through that living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you're the, you're, you're the sovereign God. You are Lord of all. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in earth as in heaven. Lord, Lord, reign in my heart, rule in my heart. You're the sovereign Lord. Lord, you're the seeking Lord. I wasn't looking for you, you looked for me. You brought me to yourself. And thank you, Lord, that your eyes always on me. That's an awesome thing, but that's a comforting thing. That even in my stubbornness, when I go astray, you're there, Lord. You're there. Lord, help me today. Help me in the year ahead. So to live for you, the one who died for me. We've got a hymn to sing. And I wonder if you'll make it a prayer. It's dear old William Cooper. Oh, for a closer walk with God. A constant heavenly calm. A light to shine upon the road that leads me to the Lamb. The Lamb of God who gave himself for me. Lord, keep me close to you for your name's sake. Amen.